Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's the lightly competitive knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and I'm joined this week, as always, by science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. Ready to be an expert about science. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. I have a question for the two of you. If you had if you had a, a country, what would be on the $1 coin? Because there's not going to be a $1 bill that's a ridiculous idea, and there will be no pennies because we're all not monsters. But what's going to be on your $1 coin? I think I would go very simple. I don't want to, like, memorialize anyone or anything. Mm-hmm. The, my problem with coins is when they look too similar. <laughs> and oh, okay. I just want all of my coins to have a different color. Okay. And maybe different shape. I like so I it. Yeah, that's great. The $1 coin will just be a circle. Okay. It'll get the standard shape because that feels like a very practical thing. But mm-hmm. then like half a dollar, you'll get a square or something <laughs> nice. like that. Square coin. And that way you'll be able to like look at a pile in your hand and be like, oh, I can count more easily what I have. Yeah, it's good. I don't know if it would work. I don't know if it would work easily in the in the coin machines. But hey, this is this is ending. We're not doing that anymore. We're moving beyond. I'm just going to touch it with my cell phone or better yet, the microchip that's implanted in my pinky finger and then get my gumball that way when I'm five years old, because that's when you get your microchip. What do you think, Sam? What's on your microchip? I mean, your coin. For me, the answer is simple. My beautiful Uh wife 
Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to look bad for not saying my partner. <laughs> so Rachel's on one side of the coin and then the other side, it's... Uh, the big number one to tell you how many how many dollars it's Big worth. number one. Yeah. I like that. Every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to one-up a maze and delight each other with science facts while trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory, and they're also playing for Hank Bucks, which I'll be awarding as we play. And at the end of every episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sam Schultz. Now, what the heck? This isn't right. For though I'm pulling with all my might, and to the ground I seem to be sinking, And this whole situation has got me thinking about just how I got into this mess of black sticky goo. And here's my best guess. A long time ago, some creatures all died and rotted away and left this smelly slime. Then it came up through the ground it bled and pulled up here to kill my ass dead. It's a marvel of nature. It's pretty darn neat. If only I weren't sinking down to my teats. But oh well, I guess. It's no good complaining. I keep sinking faster the more that I'm straining. Maybe I'll rot and become one with the tar, and someone will sink into me. But for now, au revoir. Okay. Nice. Our topic for the day is sticky things. And Sam went for a tar pit, which is a very sticky thing, Mm -hmm. and also does kill things by being sticky. Well, it used to, I guess. Maybe not anymore. I don't know. I bet a, I bet a bird will fly in there every once in a while. Yeah. They're dummies. St- and sticky, sticky is an interesting thing. People often ask me about sticky when they're asking me science questions. They're like, how does a bug stick to the ceiling? Which is a very different thing from actual stickiness. And they ask about how like uh, how 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 glue works, etc. So it's not all the same yeah. thing? Like the stickiness of, mm-hmm. a, of slime is not the stickiness of a bug's foot is not tape stickiness it does work differently and some and sometimes like a bug isn't actually sticky it's just like hooked on okay just like holding on with its little fingers basically but is that stickiness who like what is stickiness it's something it's like it won't let go of a thing so i guess it's kind of stickiness anyway that's not my job sari what is sticky (laughs) (laughs) well you just set up how hard my job is because i was going to preface it with i don't know like there are so many stickies what type of sticky are you talking about Mm, okay in the bubble that i'm drawing i also left out hooky things like i am not considering velcro as Mm, sticky so any bugs or objects that work like velcro with like hooks and loops or hooks and like crevices Mm -hmm. not sticky but sticky is is broken into two chemical words um adhesion and cohesion so adhesion is the binding force between two different materials so like uh tape and the wrapping paper that you're wrapping a present with but cohesion is the binding force between two similar materials so like one glue molecule and its neighboring glue molecule so i adhere to a cat because um, I would like to pet the cat, but the cat would, doesn't really care. Uh-huh. Uh, whereas I cohere to my wife because we would both like a hug. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It sounds nice. I hope it's right. <laughs> I don't see why not. As a science expert, I say that's okay. <laughs> there are a lot of people who study stickiness, and it's a lot of like very smart physicists. So I apologize to them right, in advance yeah. because I'm not a very smart physicist. I'm like an average biologist. So I guess like the best way to explain something sticky is something like like tape because that's 
I think what most people, if you thought of something sticky, it would be like glue or tape. Mm -hmm. And the way that that works is the glue molecules on the tape are held together by cohesion. So like the sticky side has some sort of like glue or adhesive material. And cohesion is holding those molecules together. So they're all like bunched up. And then when you squish tape onto a surface, the molecules spread out and get into all the little cracks and crevices of that surface. Like you don't often see them with your eyes. And this is why it's hard to tape something to like a very, very smooth surface because even our glass windows often have little pores Mm -hmm. in them. And so like the, the adhesive gluey stuff seeps into those and then adheres to it. And so there are adhesive forces between like the glass molecules or the paper molecules and the glue so that when you try and peel it off, it's harder to because there's like that stick. That's my best yeah, that that is my best explanation of sticky. But then there's different like electrostatic stickiness, which is like electric forces holding things together. Gecko's feet work really or <laughs> gecko's little feet. Uh, gecko feet work really in a different way. Um, I think they involve some sort of electrostatic attraction, but also like maybe some mechanical adhesion uh-huh. or or Van der Waals forces, which are like interatomic. Mm-hmm. Uh, forces holding things together. So I don't know. There's a lot of sticky. There's a lot of sticky. The wild thing is that, like, if you if you're coming at this like I have a question about science, you can ask a question. It's like that's very simple and easy, no problems. And like, but like, which ones turn out to be complicated are what like make no sense at all. It's like sound, not that complicated, pretty sim- simple, all mechanical, really easy to solve with pretty simple math. Light, uh, no idea. Sorry, can't <laughs> help with colors. Colors are nope, 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 nope. At colors, least light we'd... seems like it should be complicated because it's from space. So that's understandable. Uh, well, but, but like color doesn't seem like it should be complicated. I feel like mm. an F sharp and red should be analogous. Okay, that right? makes sense. But it's, it's like, it's a completely different situation. Like there's still, I mean, weirdly enough, there's still like wavelengths and stuff involved. But like, why is one thing red? <laughs> it's all inside of the atoms. So then you're saying if someone says, why is sticky? Then there is no way to explain to them why is sticky. Yeah, why is sticky is is complicated, especially because there's there's not one sticky. And mm-hmm. and also, like, is everything a little sticky? Kind of. Yeah, yeah. And we live in a sticky world. Is is the Earth sticky because gravity is holding us there? Whoa. That's a force holding Ooh, us. I don't like that. I don't want. I don't want to live on a sticky planet. That's a weird stick. It's kind of <laughs> sticky though. It's kind. Of, we're we're not floating off of it. <laughs> the weird thing is that it keeps being sticky even if I'm not touching it. I like jump up and it's like I still stick. Whoa. Welcome to space time. Enjoy your stay forever. <laughs> anyway, thank you for for helping. Do you know uh, where the word sticky comes from? Oh, this is like medium interesting to me. Uh, <laughs> le- less so. But usually when I say something are uninteresting, then one of you asks a question that makes it interesting. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so sticky as meaning like adhesive or inclined to stick to it, something else. Uh, came about in around 1727. I don't know where the text was. I tried to find it, but 1700s. And that came from the verb stick, which means to pierce 
or to remain embedded oh, okay. or to be mm. fastened. Uh-huh. So like in the way that you could stick someone with like a spear, mm-hmm. you could also, that became like, you can stick a piece of paper to a wall wow. uh, right, and those right. like share the same verb. Yeah. And then stickers, whole separate thing. What? Uh, what? <laughs> where like in the, like the 1580s, uh, so like before sticky was a word. What? Sticker was one who sticks. So if you were like the man with the spear who like poked people, then you'd be a sticker. But then <laughs> sticker as in the adhesive thing that you can uh-huh. stick on walls is from uh, as early as 1871, okay. but probably uh, not until like the early 1900s mm-hmm. when someone named R. Stanton Avery patented the world's first self-adhesive die-cut labeling machine which are like, instead of having to paste a label before mm-hmm. putting it on something, it just came with like the peel off backing that you can uh-huh. then stick to something. So sticker, as we know it, very recent word. But before it was a fun thing for children, it was a murder man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show. This week, I've got a game called This or That for You. And it's about sticky food. Because different kinds of foods are sticky, and it's important to understand the stickiness of food for the consumer. Uh, Some people like your food to be more or less sticky. Also for uh, the processing of the food. So for today's Game of This or That, I'll be presenting you with a scientific method used to determine the stickiness of uh, foods, followed by two foods that have been tested using that method, and you have to guess which of the two foods is stickier. Oh, okay. Our first uh, way that we determine whether or not things are sticky uh, is is scientific-ish, but it is just people. There, there's a bunch of uh, of sort of like descriptive ways of measuring stickiness. In 2003, a study of cheeses was published that explored the various properties of cheeses. It was a very long article, but one of the properties was stickiness. They uh, also turned to a panel of 15 people who had been trained for about 10 hours on different techniques to evaluate cheeses. Then those people were given (laughs) 1.27 centimeter blocks of cheese, and they were told to score them on various properties, including... Stickiness, which was called chew-down adhesiveness, which describes, quote, the degree to which the chewed mass sticks to mouth surfaces. Okay, so, that sounds fun. Okay. There's two cheeses here. There's mozzarella or Monterey Jack. They've both Ooh. been aged for 38 d- days, which has the higher chew-down adhesiveness, according to this panel of 15 well-trained, though briefly trained, anal- analysisers. This feels like a trick question. Because mozzarella is the stickiest of the cheeses. I, I'm trying to imagine eating both of them, like biting into both of them, and which gets stuck in my mouth more. And like, of course, mozzarella is on pizza, but like, if you just bite into a, like a mozzarella ball, that's not that sticky. <sighs> that's a great point. Well, what the heck is Monterey Jack like? It's like a sandwich cheese, I think. Okay. I think you can be like, I want a slice of Monterey Jack on my sandwich. That's got a little more tooth to it, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little more toothsome, a word that I learned from Top Chef. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to make you guys guess. Stop talking. Three, two, one. Monterey, Monterey Jack. Jack. You are both correct. It is Monterey Jack. I thought we might get you with that because mozzarella is stretchy and that seems like a stickiness thing, but it's a separate thing from stickiness. Okay. So just because something can stretch doesn't mean that it's sticky. So yeah, Monterey Jack was a seven on the scale. It was a one to 15 scale. One was Parmesan. Uh, Munster is a seven. Feta is a 12. 
And then uh, processed uh-huh. cheese got a uh, full 14. So Jack, uh, Monterey Jack uh-huh. was a seven and mozzarella was a five on that scale. That reflects my life experience. <laughs> that reflects my life experience. <laughs> this seems correct. Cheese scientists mm-hmm. have it right. Next, yeah. we have uh, the, the texturometer, which is not what it's called. It is called the TAXT2. And it's been called the texturometer or the tack meter. It's a device that uses a probe to touch. It's th- these people also make a bunch of different things that like squish stuff and like see how flexy it is. It's great. It's just a thing that feels analytically. Uh, it basically just pokes stuff for a living. <laughs> and the, the texturometer basically just puts like a little probe into the thing and then pulls it out and measures how much it it gets pulled back as it's uh, taking the thing out of the out of the thing Gross. um and it was originally used for dough stickiness uh-huh. and uh, the, uh when the two scientists in 95 they published development of an objective method for dough stickiness and since then it seems like these uh, devices that are used in food labs have done very well so congratulations to those people who figured this out but which is stickier we've got Dough, and I'm sorry I did not have a bunch of, I I wish I could have found a broader category of objects for this, but no. Dough, or dough that has been prepared with microbial transglutaminase, an enzyme that helps to cross-link gluten. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of question? The regular dough or or cross-linked gluten dough. Three, two, one. The normal, normal dough. dough. You are both correct. The dough that was prepared with the microbial transglutamase was less sticky, possibly because the matrix w- like held in the water better, and those th- so there was less water around to make the dough sticky. You want a dough to be not sticky but stretchy, I imagine, right? So I think you want it to be less sticky. Yeah. When I'm imagining, like when I'm making dough, like I don't want it to be sticking to me. I want it to be stretchy. Annoying. I've been sourdough bread baking like everyone else on the planet. Uh, But it starts out stickier, like the less you need it. And then as you need it, it gets into like a clump. And that's because your your mechanical action of it is Mm -hmm. shifting the molecules around and like forming more gluten. Right. Um, And so you, you like gluten cloak your bread. Like there's one step where you like pull up the sides around it and like it gets less and less sticky the more you need it because mm. you're forming the gluten strands. Well, Sari knew that one hands down. You would have yeah. bet $10,000 on that. Yeah, probably. Well, I don't have $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> if I could bet in, into like a, a sink, like I'll bet $10,000 and then just win it, then hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were ready to gamble on that, boy. You would have gone on margin. All right. Our, our last method for measuring stickiness is about powders. Because even powders can be sticky, and that's important because they can stick to each other. They can also stick to packaging. So one way to measure this stickiness is called the sticky point temperature, and that's the temperature at which powders begin to cake together. And that sticky point temperature is measured by sealing a powder in a tube with a device that has blades that stir the powder up, and then the tube is immersed in a water bath, and then the temperature is slowly raised until the blades suddenly need more force to stir, which is because the powder has started caking. There's some scientists out there doing some wacky shit, huh? Right? Well, this is all very important. It's wild to think this is all the stuff that is necessary to get us our powdered cheese stuffs. You know, you got to have, you got to get like get that Cheeto dust to the Cheeto yeah, factory somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, which is stickier? Instant coffee powder or tomato soup powder? Three, two, 
one answer. Coffee. Tomato soup. The answer is instant coffee powder. Sticky point temperature goes up with increasing molecular weight, and tomato soup powder has a higher molecular weight than instant coffee powder, making it less sticky. So that means Sam Schultz got three points and Sari got two. Congratulations, Sam, going into the fact off with a lead for once. Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then it will be time. (laughs) For the fact off. Sorry, was I a little rough on you? A little rough on you there? Dig dig in there. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. 
from Manicora. If you head to manicora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, again, Sam is in the lead, uh, one point ahead of Sari, and it's time for the fact off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind, and after they've presented the facts, I will judge and award them Hank Bucks any way I see fit. And to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. Modern beekeepers owe much to Ukrainian beekeeper Petro Prokopovich for his invention of the movable frame hive, which allows beekeepers to extract excess honey from the hive. But honeybees aren't just famous for their sticky honey. They are also known uh, for sticking by their queen. And Petro studied this bee swarm behavior and used his knowledge to become the first person to ever model a bee beard by placing the queen on his chin and allowing... <laughs> <laughs> her hive to swarm on his face. What a fun man. Thank you very much, Ukrainian beekeeper. What decade did this uh, first bee beard occur in? I have no clue. When were people having fun with bees? This seems could be like a medieval thing almost to me. Or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you have no other games to play, so you have bees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the Ukraine had to exist. Oh, that's true. I don't know mm-hmm. when that was, though. I'm going to go with eight 1980. Okay, I'm going to go with 19... Sam is the winner! (laughs) (laughs) It was 1830, the first bee beard, which is significantly before I would have assumed. So, Sam, you get to decide who presents first in our fact off. I'm just going to go first. Do it. In the rainforest canopies of Borneo, you'll find ants of all shapes and sizes. One of these is the weaver ant, which build themselves nests of leaves with sticky silk. But weaver ants aren't the sticky ants that I want to talk about today. And instead, I would like to talk about a species of ant that weaver ants love to bully, eat, kill in various different ways. Colobopsis explodens are tiny, unassuming ants that have little, little, tiny, almost invisible mandibles that you can't even really see that make them not very good at fighting. Weaver ants are big and they have huge chompers, so they just kind of like walk around picking on sea explodens and they battle them and eat them and steal their territory. But while sea explodens might have teeny tiny chompers that you can't see, they do have unusually large mandibular glands, which are sort of like salivary glands of insects. And in ants, the fluids that the mandibular glands make are very specialized. Like some of them make alarm pheromones or some make toxins to make a painful bite. And C. explodens makes a sticky yellow toxic goo, but they are not using their mandibles to inject this goo like other ants do. So C. explodens mandibular gland is so big that it runs through their entire body, including into their big old ant butt known as their gaster. So when Uh these ants like home is being attacked, either by weaver ants or by any other kind of like unfriendly bug, a team of these C. explodens will latch onto the enemy bugs, clench their butts so hard that they, (laughs) as you may have guessed from the name, explode and they coat the enemy with sticky mandibular gland secretions, like this yellow goo. When they explode, how, how do they how do they feel? 
Well, they'd feel dead. <laughs> okay. Just <laughs> <So> making sure. <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, continue. They explode their asses and die. So the bad bug is immobilized <laughs> by the goo. And if it, it, I think more sea explodins will then come and probably tear it limb from limb. Or if they don't do that, the, the, the animal coated with the goo will die later, most likely, since the goo is a chemical irritant. But to humans, the goo is harmless and it apparently smells like curry. So there's like a dozen other types of exploding ants in the Colobopsis family that have been studied a little bit and science has known about them since 1916 but for whatever reason people didn't really like study them in a ton of detail until recently it seems like and c explodens which was officially named in 2018 was the first new species found since 1935 but people were really excited about it because these ants like to explode not like to tend to explode (laughs) way more way more frequently than other exploding ants do like, I think a lot of exploding ants use it as, like, the last line of defense, but sea explosions uh-huh. just kind of, like, explode whenever. Uh, and if exploding butts weren't weird enough, there's a whole other hyper-specialized type of sea explodens ant. Uh, so the exploding guys are called minor workers, but there's also major workers. And major workers have huge heads that are pretty much shaped like corks. And when a sea explodens nest is attacked... Uh, the minor workers latch on to things and explode, but the major workers go to the entrances of the nests and they plug the holes up with their giant heads. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. And I mean, we all understand that like these colonial insects aren't really individuals. They are out to protect genetic information in a very different way than we do. Mm-hmm. But the results of that keep being weirder the more I hear about colonial insects. And like, it's just, it's it's making it work. We're making, like, life makes life work. And sometimes it makes it work by blowing your butt up. Like, when is the first time, I guess you get, like, better and better at, like, being nearly exploded. Because <laughs> you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta have, like, an evolutionary direction for that to go. And until you're so good yeah. at it, you can do it yourself. All right, Sari, you've got a pretty big deficit to overcome here. I'll, I'll try and convince you with my passion for this food. So uh, <laughs> I love food. <laughs> yes, love food, especially sticky rice, a.k.a. glutinous rice. Like it's delicious. Mm-hmm. I ate it a lot growing up because it's commonly used in East and South Asian cultures. So my mom made really good sticky rice, but it's also at like dim sum in various forms and mochi in Japan, which is becoming more popular in the U.S. I don't know. I'm trying to name like foods that a lot of people will have eaten. And it's called glutinous, not because it contains gluten, but because it's glue-like or sticky when cooked. And this is because the sugars in sticky rice are almost entirely amylopectin instead of amylose. So amylopectin is a highly branched molecule that is in starch, which contributes to its physical stickiness. And also the chemical structure makes it a little bit insoluble in water. And it's naturally Mm. in lots of waxy plant starches that are used as thickeners. But I'm not just talking about sticky rice as a delicious concept. It was also used in China around 500 CE as an innovative building material. What? Specifically, builders took an inorganic compound called calcium hydroxide, heated it up, and exposed it to water to make slaked lime. That was pretty standard and one of several ways to prep lime mortar, which is a paste used to bind bricks or stones and seal the gaps between them. Wow. But at some point, someone was like, hey— Let's mix in some sticky rice soup and see if it makes our mortar better. 
And thanks to amylopectin and the microstructures it formed with the calcium hydroxide, it had more strength and water resistance than the lime mortar. The sticky rice mortar was used in tombs, pagodas, and walls, including the Great Wall of China. Uh And the proof is in the buildings because some of these structures, like the Great Wall of China, are still standing today. And material scientists are even considering using sticky rice mortar as a restoration tool because it's better than standard lime mortar for repairs, according to at least one set of experiments. Wow. So it's not something they use anymore? Or that people no, use? I think like modern building materials are better. Like we have other mixtures of, of mortars mm-hmm. uh, and a better understanding of chemistry. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, we were like, well... We know lime mortar is a thing, and then some people were like, "Let's add sticky rice." <laughs> well, to rice it is and sticky. Made it better. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's try that. My my true hope for all uh, bu- like building materials is that there's something that we can find that's better than what we're using now, because what we're using now is both very good and also very impactful on the environment. And if we could do that with rice instead, that would be dope. Yeah, and we can eat them. That would be another good goal for a building. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sari, are you saying I can eat the Great Wall? Is that no? I think you still now. mostly taste brick. Like the bricks are not made of it. You yeah. can maybe lick the like the little cracks between the bricks <laughs> and maybe my... taste some sticky rice. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you I for the advice. Don't tell the officials that stop you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> that I'm going, to the, going to the Great Wall. Everybody, all tangents listeners, they go to the Great Wall and they then. They, the police are like, what are you doing? And they said, Sari Riley said I could lick the cracks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to choose a winner. Should it be sticky rice used as a mortar in all kinds of building materials, including in the Great Wall of China? Or should it be that there is a kind of ant who can explode its own ass and coat its enemies <laughs> with sticky goo? I'm sorry, Sari, but Sam came out. In the lead on we, both of the games today. Yeah. And it's emerging victorious. I needed this. Which means it's time to ask the Science Couch, where we've got a listener question for our virtual couch of finely honed scientific minds. It's from at Paxadzinka, I think. How does a frog's tongue work? Do you know this? I don't. Sam, do you know this? No. I don't know. You know what I know. Why would I know this? Is it... Sari, are they sticky? They are sticky. Okay. Uh, in multiple ways, in fact. Uh, <laughs> I've linked the paper in the show notes. Okay. And I recommend these scientists were great at writing. I love them. <laughs> uh, like, for example, they one of the lines from it is, Touching the frog tongue with a finger, as shown in figure 1D, indicates that the tongue is quite sticky, similar to marshmallow or chewing gum. Oh. So hmm. descriptive. This is all I wanted to know about frogs' tongues. Thank you, (laughs) scientists, for doing this. And so it's it's sticky for two different reasons. One, frog tongues, apparently, are one of the softest biological materials known. They're about 10 times softer than a human tongue, and they're just like these pillowy pillowy structures. So they can, like, bounce back and forth. They can work like a bungee cord. That's why they, like, fling out. Mm -hmm. Um, And they can also deform around their prey. So like they're so soft that kind of like when you smush your head into like a really soft pillow, their tongue smooshes around the bug and like envelops it in in flesh. So bugs are experiencing the soft, almost the softest thing they possibly could right before their death. Uh, It it probably feels kind of hard in the way that when you like hit someone with a pillow in a Uh pillow fight, Mm -hmm. it hits at a very 
high velocity. But for a moment, they might be really comfy (laughs) in between the pain. (laughs) And then secondly, the saliva, which is also quite thick, and it changes its viscosity. So it's considered a non-Newtonian fluid, which we defined in one of our bonus episodes kind of haphazardly. And I'm going to define it haphazardly now, which is just basically a fluid that doesn't behave according to like regular physical laws. When it hits the prey, the saliva flows. It's like really flowy um, and seeps into the crevices of the prey. But then as it its tongue pulls back, then the mucus molecules and the saliva solidify basically oh. and make it really easy for the frog to pull it back. So it, there's a lot of grip when its tongue is retracting. And then it flows again when the frog swallows. So there are moments where it is acting like a liquid. And Mm -hmm. there are moments when it is like really, really grippy. Wow. That's what you want if you're a frog tongue. How do how do I get to how do I touch a frog tongue? I'm curious now. I want to touch touch this very (laughs) soft thing. Gotta go back to college, I guess. Learn about frogs more. Be a frog yeah. Get a job at a frog lab. The only way. Yeah. If you want to ask the science couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Jeffro.vt at Holy and everybody else who tweeted us your questions <laughs> for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, there's several ways you can do that. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash scishowtangents. You can get access to things like our newsletters and our bonus episodes where we go deeper on a bunch of questions and, and take questions from patrons. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes. Our social media organizer is Paola Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Pygmy squids live in seagrass, where they use an adhesive patch on the back of their body to stick themselves to seagrass blades. This feature has led some scientists to call them the sucker bum squid. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. It's too bad we didn't get to evolve suckers. What I want is to be able to like hold my, just like stick my coffee to my arm and not have to like so I can free up my, my hands to do something else. That's that's actually very that sounds very dangerous. That's, yeah, not the best application. I'm definitely gonna spill that on me. <laughs>